Hey, what's going on? It's Jason Snow, and you're listening to The Jason Snow Show for Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. How is everybody doing out there? This is the ninth installment of The Jason Snow Show, so thank you very much for tuning in for every episode and making this show a success. It would be nothing without you. Um, first of all, I just wanted to get this out of the way. Uh, sorry for the audio if it sounds different than normal. Uh, funny story, very funny story. So uh, if you have seen my YouTube channel, I post a lot of video parts of the show. I've done NFL picks. But if you notice my set, right? So I have, I'm looking behind me. I have my picture frames. I have a nice shelf and then my desk, right? So on my desk, I have my notes here uh, that I've taken throughout the, the past couple of days, mostly today. My, my bottle of water, my laptop, my audio interface that connects my microphone into my computer. Very high tech, very high tech. Um, and then a few inches away is me, very valuable asset to the show. Um, <laughs> and you might notice that my microphone hovers above my desk. So I don't have to hold the microphone. I don't have to uh, do much of anything except sit here and talk. Very makes my job so much easier. But I was about, this is my third time trying to record this. So my microphone at the beginning of this, I was about four minutes into running my yap the first time. And then all of a sudden it collapsed. It just fell right into my lap. I don't know what happened. Uh, I, well, I, I did notice that the first time around I was looking at the levels and I was kind of talking to the side of the microphone. I wasn't really talking into it. Uh, it still would have picked up what I was saying, but it was, it was more like this, right? So this doesn't sound very good as opposed to this. So I wasn't talking into the mic. I was more, more so talking at you than talking with you. And so it just, boom, collapsed, just exploded right into my lap and onto the floor. And obviously, I, you know, like a little girl, I let out a little shriek, <laughs> decided to scrap that. And, uh, but I, I do promise if anything else, if anything else happens during this show, I'll keep it in. All right. Any shrieks, any yelling, any surprises, I will keep it in. Um, so right now, Usually I'm, I'm standing upwards, I'm standing, um, not standing, I'm sitting upwards, my posture is very good during the show, but today, you know what, <laughs> this has kind of been an up and down, so I don't know what is wrong with my microphone my microphone stand, but um, I'm going to have to get my trusty little hard hat on later and <laughs> try to see what's going on with that, but it's, a, it's like a tension microphone stand, so like, it screw. I have a ledge here, so it screws into the ledge off to the side, and it just hovers over my desk, and maybe it... I don't even know what happened, um, but it just like detached. So like the thing I screw onto the ledge is sitting here detached from the actual microphone stand. So here I am leaning back in my chair, taking it real casual. What's the COVID thing? Like when people on TV, I've done this before. People on TV or people recording videos, they have like a dress shirt on top or a suit on top. And then they have like pajamas on bottom. See, I just have a normal, you know, regular clothes on, but I have my feet up my other desk here. So I'm, I'm leaning back, having a good old time. But this that was the first time I tried to uh, record this. The, the whole thing came crashing down. The second time, I was three minutes in and I kick over my audio interface and it disconnects. So I just wasted like eight minutes of precious recording time. So if this is out a little bit later than usual, slash if, uh, if the audio isn't quite tip-top shape, I will uh, be sure to address that next episode when everything is intact and not all over the floor. Um, so thank you for letting me explain that. <laughs> today's been today's been a day. You know what? The sun is shining. The sun is shining, but you know what? Microphone stands are out 
for the attack. Anyway, all right, big news throughout the world of sports uh, today and yesterday, mostly yesterday. Uh, March Madness uh, wrapped up, and congratulations to the Baylor Bears for winning their first national title in program history. Yes, congratulations. And this episode might be a little all over the map. We're just going to address news and uh, and Baylor's national championship. So I've been looking forward to this game since Jalen Sung's banker game winner off the glass. I'm sh- if you haven't seen it, look it up. It's 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 quite the shot. And I I was so amped for this game. I actually tweeted. I've I've been tweeting. When Jalen Suggs hit that game-winning shot, I, I went on Twitter and I had to address how poised he was. So uh, Johnny Juzang banged it off the glass for the tie. And I was assuming, okay, they tied the game. We're probably going to go to overtime or Mark Few's going to call a timeout because Gonzaga had one. Uh, they didn't. They opted not to call it, which is kind of dangerous. But Jalen Suggs gets the ball out of bounds, right? Gets the inbound pass flies up the court with like less than three seconds to go pulls it from just inside half court banks it in if you want to call it luck you probably you know he's not the greatest three-point shooter under the sun and it was certainly on the run and it was certainly contested but what a shot and I was more amazed by his poise and how under control he was and how under control that whole entire team was because Juzang banked it in they didn't like wait they didn't panic they didn't wait around they weren't like looking for direction Suggs was like, oh, give it to me and I'll run up the court. I was just amazed by that. And then that led up to the championship game, which I don't think went the way a lot of people expected, including me. I thought it was going to be a much closer game. And in fact, Vegas, or maybe not Vegas, um, FanDuel Sportsbook had Gonzaga as a four and a half point favorite. And I was like, oh, a lot of people are on Gonzaga. And I was like, okay, I can live with that. And then the game started. <laughs> and then the game started. And Baylor just attacked. And it was crazy because Jalen Suggs straight out the gate played a terrible game. He did not have a very good game from the start. Had an offensive foul. Had a reaching uh, reach and foul. Those two fouls knocked him out of the game early. So Mark Few didn't want to get him to foul trouble early. And even then, he had a shot block. He had a contested three that missed. And, and Baylor... And you could tell he was kind of overcompensating for Baylor's 9-0 start. I mean, Gonzaga, I wrote it down here, didn't hit, hit their first field goal till almost five minutes into the game. And Baylor is the best defensive team I've seen in a while. I mean, they're by far the best defensive team in the country. And you could tell that their their MO defensively was we're going to deny Timmy the ball. We're going to try to frustrate Jalen Suggs. I mean, Jalen had a good game um, against UCLA in the final four, but they tightened him up. They made him shoot deep threes, which really isn't his game. He likes to play up and down. He likes to get to the basket. And their whole MO was, we're going to make other people beat us. And and maybe they didn't expect Suggs to get into foul trouble so early, as early as he did, but it certainly didn't hurt uh, Baylor that Suggs was out of the game that early. But uh, from, the, from the get-go, you could tell energy, uh, will determination all Baylor's side and for Gonzaga I said very early they're gonna have to they're they're gonna need another star they're gonna need Corey Kispert to step up uh, because they very early like midway through the first half they had their biggest deficit of the season 15 that Gonzaga's never had to overcome adversity like that and we're gonna talk about overcoming adversity later on in the show but Baylor just had so much more energy and Gonzaga seemed like they were 
they probably heard a lot of the hype. They probably heard that a lot of people were taking him to win. Uh, and con- just congratulations to to Scott Drew, um, who I don't know if you've heard on the on the broadcast. They played his introductory p- uh, press conference 18 years ago in 2003. I was two years old when that happened. When when Scott Drew was introduced as the head coach of Baylor, and he was like, "I'm here to win games in the tournament. I'm here to I'm here to make noise." I'm here to win national championships. And obviously when you're a head coach and you're a younger head coach like that, when you talk big, that's, that's an expectation. And, and 18 years later, here he is on top of the world. So congratulations to Baylor and Jared Butler for um, winning the most outstanding player. Uh, he was the first player with 20 plus points, seven plus assists in a national championship game since Carmelo Anthony in 2003. Wow. Wow. Congratulations. Baylor winning from a macro scale is very good for college basketball because year in and year out we talk about one and duns we talk about the freshman we talk about zion williamson we talk about rj barrett we talk about recruiting we talk about so many short-term things in college basketball we talk about how college basketball and the nba don't have the greatest relationship because one feels like they're stealing players from the other but Baylor winning was a very, very, very good thing for college basketball. Not like Gonzaga winning would have been a bad thing per se, but Baylor winning was a very encouraging sight for college basketball. Why? Because like Villanova, they're full of juniors and seniors. I'm going to count them here. They have seven juniors and seniors, seven upperclassmen, three of them seniors, four of them juniors. And they were all their best players. Jared Butler, like I said, most outstanding player, third-year junior. Davion Mitchell, their leading scorer, junior. Mark Vidal, who was... I was more amazed at at Mark Vidal, almost more than anyone except Butler, because he was just all over the glass. He owned Drew Timmy on the glass. And and Baylor got uh, Drew Timmy in a lot of pick-and-rolls. Massey Oteague, also a senior. Flo Thamba, also a junior. Uh, Matthew Mayer, Matthew Meyer, actually, that's how you pronounce it. Spelt Mayer, but pronounced Meyer. Also a junior. They're just an experienced team. Now, if that's kind of the way to build national championships and sustain success and, and get in the tournament and, and win games, if upperclassmen, if just not getting that one superstar is the obsession in college basketball, that's a very good thing. Because if Duke came in here with, with all their one and dones and won every year, which they make it far, but they're not a parent they're not like a we're gonna assume they win every year they're not like that power they didn't even make the tournament this year but if they if a t if a school like that came in with just a zion williamson and said we're gonna win national championships every single year bad sign for college basketball because all those players are in and out in one year but if like villanova you can groom your players for years and years and years you, you can get familiar with them and you know if if jared butler decides to come back to baylor next year and try to run it back and Davion Mitchell decides to come back. Very good thing for college basketball. Even uh, Adam Flagler, a sharpshooter off the bench, sophomore. They only had four freshmen on the entire roster and none of them played. Hardly any of them, hardly any of them played. And f- one of the freshmen one of the one out of the four of the freshmen is a second year freshman, he's redshirt. So just a veteran team coming out on top and knows how to win games. Um, so that's a good sign for college basketball. But Baylor was all over. So, And I talked about, I don't even know what um, 
when I said it or when I asked the question. But a while back, I asked the question, how many people would watch? Because earlier on in the tournament, pre-Sweet 16, it was the most upsets ever, pre-Sweet 16. And I begged the question, like, we all love underdogs, right? How, you know, how many people are going to be attached to Portland State? Like, how many... We all know Duke, we all know Villanova, we all know North Carolina, we all know Gonzaga, like recognizable names. Once those guys get knocked out, how many people are going to watch? But it was quite fitting because in, an, in a tournament full of underdogs, the underdog won on the national championship. Because like I said, FanDuel had uh, Gonzaga's four and a half point favorites. And I looked at the ratings last night because, you know, Baylor... Baylor is not really much of a household name per se. If you, if you, if I asked you today, close your eyes and name five college basketball powers, you would say North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, Duke, and Kentucky. Like those, Baylor's not exactly that. You know what I mean? So I looked at the ratings last night, according to TVLine.com, the championship game between Gonzaga and Baylor averaged 13 million total viewers in a 3.0. Wow. They average a three. Wow. And it, for me, it was entertaining because I was just like, I thought it was a good game, to be honest. I mean, I know a lot of all, not all blowouts are exactly the same in quality, but I, I was entertained with yesterday. And I, I congratulations again to the Baylor Bears on just an ex, outstanding season and ripping away the perfect season away from Gonzaga. That's uh, a very good storyline. But once again, congratulations to Coach Drew and everyone involved in Baylor on an outstanding season and an outstanding championship game. I mean, I was most excited about the championship game. I enjoyed it. That was a really fun game to watch. And um, one of the one of my favorite tournaments in, in quite a while, maybe ever. Uh, I loved this tournament. It was really fun to watch. All right, so let's shift to this. Um, so yesterday afternoon, ESPN's Adam Schefter came out and reported that the Carolina Panthers are trading three draft picks to the New York Jets in exchange for quarterback Sam Darnold, formerly of USC. Uh, and actually, you know what, before I dive into the news and give you my reaction on the trade, uh, I just wanted to promote the NFL Mock Draft Show, which will be airing Tuesday, April 27th. So the NFL Draft is Thursday, April 29th. That Tuesday, two days before... I'm going to be unveiling my NFL mock draft. So that'll be when I predict all the picks. I give you some insight. I uh, give you some reasoning of why I think, um, why I make that prediction. And it's going to be a lot of fun. So I'm already thinking about it. It's already under construction. I've been thinking about it a lot, writing things down, jotting things down. And it takes a lot of time. Um, so I'd, re I'd be really appreciative if you tuned in on Tuesday, April 27th. And I'll be spreading the word on all the social media platforms to make sure everyone's geared up and ready to listen to my NFL mock draft and it'll be a very high quality affair so be ready for that um, I wanted to do it as late as possible so that I can have you know the most action already happening so if I did one a couple days ago a couple of trades have already gone down so I just want to have the most up-to-date mock draft uh, two days before a lot of actions can still happen after my mock draft and you know we can adjust accordingly but I just wanted to have the most you know up-to-date mock draft so i'm already thinking about it so there you go you've been notified <laughs> spread the word spread some love all right so sam darnold goes to the carolina panthers and my first reaction is good for sam to be honest uh so sam darnold hasn't really been given a fair shake and 
you know, Sam Darnold in the past has had his up his ups and downs, more downs than ups, to be honest. But uh, a couple, what was it, last year or maybe even the year before, he uh, came out after a game against the Patriots and Belichick eats up young quarterbacks. And Sam Darnold was like, I saw ghosts or, or whatever and, and got a lot of pushback for that. Uh, but honestly, he's 23 years old. He's played 38 games for the Jets, a record of 13 and 25. He's only, yeah, he's only 23. And a lot of people are, are already giving up on Sam Darnold. And the first thing I thought of was like, okay, I'm 20. I'm 20. You know, what am I going to be at 23? Like, are people going to give up on me at 23? Like, I, I hope that doesn't happen. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Sam Darnold. I am rooting for Sam Darnold. And I've been a Sam Darnold guy, for, you know, dating back to when he came out of the draft. I thought it sh- he should have been picked above uh, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, if you look back at that draft three years later and kind of gauge who's the best in, in you know, if you were to redraft that that draft, it'd be really interesting because Josh Allen has popped, Lamar Jackson won an MVP, uh, Baker won a playoff game, and then the two guys, Josh Rosen, he's on what is he a practice squad quarterback now with the uh, with the 49ers, and then Sam Darnold's kind of uh, kind of treading water as best he can. But if you look back at Sam Darnold's career, I mean he that poor that poor guy, that poor guy Sam Darnold, and I think it really points out that where you drop in the draft or where you get drafted matters so much to how you succeed matters so much i think it matters more than anything else uh, to be honest with you because if you get drafted number one if you get drafted number two odds are you're not going to a very good team with there can be some turmoil and i think trevor lawrence kind of lucked out with jacksonville to be honest with you he's getting urban meyer who really wants him uh i think there's some promise in jacksonville but if you look back at that draft and it was like Cleveland's up there and Cleveland has certainly reinvented itself into a team that, wow, defensively, stout defensive team. Receivers, they've supported Baker Mayfield more than any other quarterback in that draft, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, Josh Allen has all the stability in the world with Buffalo and Baltimore had, what, 11 pro bowlers when Lamar Jackson won the MVP. So that has certainly escalated him and amplified his success and made him pop into you know the superstar we see today. But Sam Darnold hasn't had any of that in New York. And look back at Adam Gase. Yikes, if there's a word to describe it. Yikes is it. Um, I don't want to be you know so critical, but he was arguably the worst head coach in the league at that point. And uh, the wins certainly didn't follow. And it, the defense wasn't there. The offensive line certainly wasn't there. He was running for his life. And yes, Sam Darnold certainly reckless. He certainly has some some learning to do in the system. But especially this past year with Joe Douglas as the GM and uh, they're just hiring Robert Sala as their new head coach. Sam Darnold's tenure in New York wasn't going to be long term. Why? Because A, the GM Joe Douglas didn't draft him. That was a Mike McCagnan pick. And B, the coach inherited him, not his guy. And, you know, you can look around in your life. If you inherit something, it's much easier to give up something that you get than something that you make because you like I probably love this podcast a lot more than everyone else does and because it's mine and I made it and I I change it and it's mine and I you know I just have a lot of ownership to it and if I were to inherit someone else's podcast I would be more apt to change things I mean I so like if you draft a player in the NFL and you're a GM right and that player isn't quite as good as you thought you kind of have to look in the mirror at yourself and be like yeah, I kind of missed out on that one. Or I did something wrong. If you inherit someone else's draft picks and they don't 
perform as well as expected, then you can be like, oh, that guy didn't know how to draft. It's much easier to point the finger when it's another guy's pick. Sam Darnold was another guy's pick. And I think Sam has a very successful future ahead of him in Carolina. But that's just the reality of how it shook down in, in New York. It was someone else's draft picks, much easier to get rid of. You don't really want to pay another guy. Like a GM in the NFL cares about two positions, really, on the whole team. He cares about two. And he really takes ownership in those two, coach and quarterback. If you hire a, a GM, he's most likely going to scrap the coach. He wants his own guy in there. If he's going to you know, take the reins and take ownership of the franchise, he wants it done his own way. And that's what Joe Douglas did. He um, gave Adam Gase and Sam Darnold one more year, didn't act impulsive, uh, but made it known that they weren't the future. So they they fire Adam Gase. He gets his own guy in there, Robert Sala, who I believe is going to be a culture setter and a bright thing for New York. Now it's down to getting a quarterback because Sam Darnold wasn't his guy. Um, so now they ship him off to, to Carolina. And I think it's a good trade for both sides for Carolina and the New York jets. The jets, first of all, they were going to have to pay Sam Darnold in a year. Anyway, they were never going to, and Joe Douglas didn't really want to keep him. And they got three draft picks for a quarterback. They had no use for. So, uh, that's a good deal for them. And then for Carolina, they were going to be stuck with Teddy Bridgewater. And additionally, if you look at this draft and, you know, top down, it's going to be Lawrence. It's going to be. Uh, Zach Wilson to the Jets at number two. It's going to be probably Justin Fields number three to the to the Niners, and then Trey Lance shortly after. Carolina picking at number eight was going to be the odd man out, so they might as well take a swing on Sam Darnold, give up you know not a substantial package, but certainly not nothing. Um, three picks, a second next year, a fourth next year, and a sixth this year. Fourth rounders, fifth rounders, sixth rounders. Most of them are coin flip time anyway. I mean. Um, they're certainly valuable when you include them in trades, but when you get actually like, it's the fourth round, we're on the clock. It's not like, oh, there's a great prospect here. It's more like, you know, who do we like the most? So I think it's a low risk move for Carolina. Matt Rule, um, second year head coach entering his second year, gets a quarterback that he can be invested in. And if he doesn't like Sam Darnold, he can just move off of him, you know? So I think it's a good move for both sides. And you know what? It's good for Sam because he gets he inherits a division that Tom Brady's getting older and Tom Brady's obviously going to rule over the NFC South, but Drew Brees is gone. Who knows really what the future is with Matt Ryan? And even with Matt Ryan, the Falcons aren't necessarily a great team. So Carolina could mess around and flirt around with a close second in that division if all goes right. It might just be a gap year for the Saints and that's okay. But Sam Darnold... I think Carolina shows some promise, and I think Sam, that's a good spot for Sam because you you get the receivers and DJ Moore. You get Robbie Anderson, which he has uh, chemistry with. He Robbie Anderson played with the Jets not too long ago, and most of all, you get a you get a culture and a, and a coach that believes in you. I think Matt Rule's going to believe in Sam Darnold. So uh, if you look back at the stats, no, Sam Darnold's stats aren't very good. Fifty nine percent completions, nine touchdowns, eleven picks. Nah. 13 and 25 overall as a starter and wins certainly aren't just a quarterback thing. That's a team thing, but the jets weren't going anywhere. The Sam Darnold in the stats. I think it's finally about time. Sam gets a fair shake. So I think it's a bright future for Sam. Uh, I'm not giving up on him at 23. If he doesn't figure it out, you're running a $5 billion franchise at 23 years old. I can barely manage this 
ham radio show down here and it's uh, you know <laughs> it's bananas and I'm, I'm still figuring it out but i'm not you know sam darnold's 23 years old you're probably listening to this on a, on a drive home from work what were you doing at 23 years old he's running a five billion dollar franchise and his coach doesn't believe in him his gm didn't really want him there either had had his eyes on another quarterback so i'm believing in sam darnold uh, Sam is, you know, he's not really what the modern cornerback looks like either. Uh, he's a, he can be a little reckless. He's a little thicker. He he's built. He's he's Kyler Murray's a lot slender. You know, very quick. Sam Darnold's not the fastest athlete out there, but he's strong. He has a big arm. I think he'd be a masterful fit in Pitt, in Pittsburgh. But reminds me a lot of the Big Ben prototype. But uh, but Carolina's gonna be a nice spot for him. So. That's kind of low down on the trade. So yeah. And and Sam Darnold, if, if there's anything to take away from Sam Darnold, it's fit matters in the NFL draft. And that's just kind of a hint to it all ahead of, of this of this month's draft. Fit matters, especially at quarterback. Because if you have a head coach on the hot seat, GM with a short leash, your your ceiling is going to be fairly low because they're not the, if those two guys are gone, if those two guys that believed in you and drafted you high are gone, the next group, the next two guys aren't really going to be invested. They really aren't. They don't really care. And especially if you get picked high in the draft, that's a team without a good offensive line. That's a that's often a team without a good defense. That's a team that isn't very good and they're not going to maximize your potential. So ahead of this month's NFL draft, be on the lookout because Sam Darnold and Andrew Luck are two examples of two guys with talent luck more than Darnold but two guys with talent that simply got squished by an organization that didn't know what they were doing and so I don't know if I don't know how many teams you can say that about high in this draft I mean I think Jacksonville is gonna have their cars in order with with Urban Meyer he knows what he's doing um the Jets I like their regime more than the old one San Francisco's buttoned up. They're buttoned up as always. The Falcon, you know, I don't know if there's a lot of landmines at the top of this draft. So these quarterbacks might be might be lucky getting drafted to these teams this year. But in years past, the Colts led. But what was it? Their GM Ryan Grigson, Yep, was yikes. I I don't even know how to how to explain it, but Darnold and Luck are two guys that I can remember that just got squished by their organizations and let go. And you know, Luck obviously retired earlier than a lot of people thought. What twenty nine when he retired? And yeah, that news just dropped like a like a bombshell, uh, just like my microphone stand. Wow, it goes full circle. Uh, <laughs> so yes, uh, I'm a big apologies for the audio quality if it's not too great. Uh, thank you for tuning in to this episode of Jason Snow Show. Hopefully I made you laugh. Hopefully I entertained you in some in some fashion. But thank you for tuning in as always. And episode 10 will be on Friday. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, the show is nothing without you. And I will check in with you again on Friday. So thanks as always, and I'll see you then.